Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. We got Kim Wright, Vice President of Public Affairs over at Hill and Knowlton, and Melissa Lansman, also VP over at Hill and Knowlton. It's the Hill and Knowlton show. It really is. Uh, a lot of a lot of brains over there, right? Great place to work. Yeah, Great like, place to work. Super smart people. Awesome clients. What more be. can you ask what, for? What do you guys actually get done? Let's be honest. Come on. A lot. And so much more. <laughs> I know. Well, let's uh, learn today about uh, China, shall we? Because we find out late this afternoon that several of our allies, uh, including Canada, were targeted in what's called an intrusive hacking attack on big corporations by China. Everything from the healthcare system, mining, telecom communica- uh, companies, banks. Apparently this happened back in 2016. It's not said to be connected to Huawei, but it is very clear China is a very, very bad actor. Here is Ralph Goodale saying pretty much nothing on today's announcement. He says a lot. Uh, I was first this, detected going back to 2016, uh, and we have been taking the appropriate steps with the private sector ever since then uh, to make sure that uh, that uh, uh, Canadian systems and Canadian companies are are properly protected. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we didn't really get much out of that. I'll start with you on this, Kim. Um, I think it's very clear now, if it wasn't before, uh, with these two big headlines in the last couple of weeks. China, I don't know how much is more important, our national security or these trade deals, but they got to be dealt with. They're one and one A. Security in the world, whether it's cybersecurity or financial security or defense security are all should be at the top of the prime minister's agenda and if they're not then he needs to find a new agenda or we or all need or we minister. need to find a new prime minister uh because at the end of the day if canadians can't be safe in their homes and they can't be safe with our largest trading partners both the us and and in other places then we need to have a real conversation about what do we need to do and today's uh, conversations around cybersecurity, these types of things happen quite a lot. And sometimes they make news a couple of years later. Sometimes they make news in the moment. Uh, I think it's important that people are reminded as more and more of our lives are online, that we don't need to turn into tinfoil hats, but we certainly need to be cognizant of the types of things we share and how we share them, but also how other global players, good actors and bad actors and dark web and non-dark web all act. Well, well, while while Goodale was saying he was very disappointed with China, here is what, I mean, because it's a serious deal. Here is what an FBI uh, agent, how, how he described the seriousness of this. The cyber equivalent of breaking into a house. This is more like breaking into and getting the keys from the maintenance supervisor who has keys to hundreds and hundreds of apartments and all the residents in those apartments. 
So that's the director of the FBI speaking in the United States today. It's a big deal. And and our prime minister, you know, yesterday said that he's taking a wait and see approach on, you know, Canadians being kidnapped, but he's going to take China at their word. We've got the safety minister today, you know, giving the old naughty, naughty. I don't know if they take this seriously. Yeah, enough. no question. Tensions with uh, with China, all time high. Um, we've got to be realistic about the threat that China poses to our national security. Um and we've got to we've got to be cautious about uh, about trades. Chinese companies they play by an entirely different set of rules, and they play for the long game. And uh, we don't play by those rules. Um, and unless we get on the same page with the same rules, which will never happen, mm-hmm. um, we've got to take a look at uh, at how we do this. Look, there is uh, you know the detention of of Canadians a serious That's matter. Not something detention. this is kidnapping. Yeah, something that is that has happened in in, in China. Uh, um, you know, throughout throughout the course, look, a lot of this happens. This these particular ones are are, are directly related to to something that uh, that happened here. And I think it's time for the prime minister to step in. It's really really hard to talk to those people's families and uh, explain to them that there is you know consular visits and and this and that, and we're protected by privacy. The, the prime minister has to step in now. Yeah. Uh, well, look, I think he's been very lackadaisical. Uh, you know, and, and it's going to become an election issue. There's no question this is going to become an election issue. Absolutely. The prime minister has been, frankly, over the last couple of months, more concerned about uh, tweeting out uh, to Trevor Noah that he is going to commit Canada to $50 million than what I saw today in taking cybersecurity seriously. He's going to have to be accountable for that. He also is going to have to be accountable uh, around pipelines and how all of that has not been unfolding, frankly. Yeah. Uh, and, well, let, let's and stop you there because like. I wanted to spend I wanted to spend a bit of time on that because he did, he sat down with Mercedes Stevenson for a year ender, and these year enders for him have been disastrous. I mean, it, really, these thought bubbles that have like come out of his mouth. I was like, all year enders are always disastrous. <laughs> well, for him, yes, they're <laughs> yeah, they are. But he will not, and we will not. He will not acknowledge Western alienation is growing. And and finally, when he was asked about Alberta separation and that, he. Well, he blamed the Conservatives. I have seen politicians uh, of various stripes in various places trying to uh, foment negative sentiments and play the kinds of divisive cards that we've seen in the past. That's not my job as Prime Minister. You don't think Western alienation is growing? I think think there are politicians trying to exploit it. Okay, Melissa, this is what we call a wedge issue. This is identity politics. This is the division that he himself and his government has created in this country to suggest that this is a political game is nonsense. No, the only political game that happened was that handout uh, that happened to the the people in Alberta. If there was protests that were over 20 kilometers long in Toronto or in uh, in Ottawa or frankly in Montreal, we would be up in arms. But we're not talking about this. Since day one, Justin Trudeau has wanted to phase out the energy sector and that's exactly what he's doing Mm -hmm. and he's going to pay for it. Well, no, Canadians are going to pay for it. Look, I, and, and I and I open my show on this because I talk about Alberta a lot. I have absolutely no faith that this government wants to get the oil out because they've spent too many years trying to keep it in the ground. And now they're just starting to see the the rewards of all that activism, including Notley. All the people that say they're going to save Alberta now are the very same people that got us into this position. So the prime minister is trying to placate British Columbians versus Alberta because they've done the math and Alberta and Saskatchewan are not on their radar in terms of re-election. And he, he looks no further than his own family who alienated Alberta years ago and still managed to win. So, you know, 
the the prime minister and his team have looked at this and went, okay, this is the amount we can afford to lose electorally and still get reelected. I think what he's not really understanding is how much this has impacted communities across Canada. Everyone now has uh, relatives, lots of relatives that are dependent on the uh, oil and gas industry and the Alberta economy. I mean, Alberta's talking separation. If you if you also look at you know from my yeah, hometown, I wonder when that happened before in Justin Trudeau's life. Right, but 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 <laughs> exactly. now it's actually it makes sense for them. And I mean, look, I know Alberta because I got a lot of friends there. I live there, so I I have a vested interest. This to me is disgraceful that this conversation's even happening. And if you look at places like Windsor, if you yeah, look at places yeah. like Atlanta, Canada, who all frankly a good chunk of their communities relocated to Fort Mac and and other places. This is going to have an impact for him in places where Alberta might not have had the same sort of resonance uh, 10, 15 years ago, but they certainly do now when you've got all these direct flights to Alberta because that's where people are trying to get jobs. Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. We got Kim Wright and Melissa Landsman weighing off on all things. Let's get into round two of Counterpoint. And Catherine McKenna out uh, talking to the media today because even with the national carbon tax, phasing out coal, forcing, you know, the use of cleaner fuels, buildings being more efficient, Canada is still 75, 79 million tons of greenhouse gases shy of hitting the targets that we were supposed to hit by 2030. So Catherine McKenna comes out today and says, well, we'll just have to do more, faster, and adopt things like, you know, electric cars for everyone. We're talking about 2030. That's 12 years. I don't know how many business quarters that is, but we can do this, and we're going to do it together. (laughs) Oh, are we? (laughs) So apparently, Melissa, the government's just going to buy us all electric cars? Well, I'll dip my toes in this one. I love (laughs) talking about this. Uh, This is nonsense. The minister knows it. It is it is totally tone deaf uh, amongst an oil crisis in Alberta, they don't uh, amongst a GM plant uh, closure. The electricity system is pretty low in terms of emissions, at least here in Ontario. Here is what happens when uh, when everybody comes home and then they plug in their car at the very same time and the system mm. goes crazy. <laughs> uh, the prices go up and we build more gas plants, therefore making GHGs actually higher. So, But, but, but Kim, they're making this assumption that we're all just going to go out and buy electric cars. Like, I just bought a new car. You're now telling me that I'm going to have to go out and buy a new car. Like, this and- is the middle class that they claim to be fighting for. This is who they're targeting with these massive expensive, progressive, platitude policies that are being rejected all over the world. And, you know, there's a lot of cars that are, frankly, more fuel efficient than the green versions of the same cars. So uh, I also think that perhaps uh, ministers and the prime minister could maybe do a few less flights around the world to conferences hither and yon talking about uh, climate change plans and all of their great ideas and blowing through their carbon emissions themselves. So... There's a lot of things that can be done that Canadians are doing that consumer demand is driving. Mm. Uh, and yes, there are things. And electric cars is not one of but, them. But we also don't have uh, electric vehicle charging stations uh, readily accessible. 
Uh, lots of things that need to be built in the infrastructure if electric cars were ever going to get there. I'm still waiting for my Jetsons flying car, but I'll, I guess I'll have to continue to wait for that because those haven't come quite on yeah, the way What do you think about bringing back the uh, $14,000 rebate for millionaires who drive Teslas? I don't. That was, that well, was a good idea. It, well, apparently it was. But, you know, it's interesting because I was reading this article in the Financial Times. Well, uh, Tesla's now looking at maybe uh, looking at that GM Oshawa plant. Yeah, no, they're so. not. No, Who they're knows? Not. They're not. You know, and if they had made that plan when the bailout happened in 2008, maybe we'd be there, but we're or not. maybe had the Herbert government not sold their shares in, uh, in, in GM, maybe we'd be in a better place. And maybe and yeah, the Ontario's the budget. Place. It's a very yeah. good place it was to a, have been. It was a great well, paper Ontario, balance of the budget. Maybe the Ontario government hadn't, like, you know, walked away from shares in, in Hydro. There's all so many things that these governments do, or maybe the federal government shouldn't have, you know, given the Oshawa plant or the GM dealership a, a you know a relief in their loan as they did earlier this year. There's so many things that the government does that doesn't make sense, and we just keep paying for it. Just like we'll continue paying for this green charade that we're all now locked into. I think this one's going to be a big one during the election. Of course, it will be. It's got. It's. It has to be. Like it's got to come to head. Well, look, like, I, people I, are really angry about this. This is pitting. That, you know, this is pitting the middle class against those who are rich in cities who feel good about doing something about the climate. It's, it's called the just, yellow vests it's and it's that spreading. simple. Yeah. Well, look, I read an article in the Financial Times today and it said over the last decade, green technologies and industries is 3.1% of our GDP. It has not gone up 1% and it's been responsible for 1.6% job growth. And it hasn't moved at all, despite all the subsidies, despite all the government help, despite all the, the talking about it. In 10 years, it has not done anything. And experts are saying it's clearly not catching on. Well, what's, as I said, what's happening is that consumer demand are requiring companies and organizations to be better on the green front. Mm. Uh, and that has contributed to a lot of other things that the specific green industries uh, may not have been capturing. But if you look at everything from uh, a thinning of walls of bottles of water and uh, Coke bottles to uh cars and vehicle emissions, they're all getting better. And mm -hmm. that's a good thing. And I think that conversation needs to go forward. I think uh, Minister McKenna might have uh, wanted to choose her uh, words a bit more carefully as uh, as she also needs to choose some of her tweets a bit more carefully. She just needs to smile about. for once. You know, I, I have a sense of humor. I, I'll, I'll just take that. I want to get on to the uh, rules about edibles uh, <laughs> because edibles are, are will fully be into effect October 17th of next year. It could, in fact, be in earlier by, by April, but that's the target date. But some of the rules, you know, they can't be refrigerated, which, okay, um, must offer nutritional value on the side of the packaging because that's what you do. Because that's for, exactly edibles what you're what looking you're, for. Yeah, I want my, <laughs> my, my edibles healthy. Uh, no sugars can be added, no sweeteners, no flavors that would appeal to kids. You can't have the gummy bears shaped in little objects. And each edible has to be limited to 10 milligrams each. Now, look, the LCBO is so fashionable, is so cool. They've got these glossy magazines pairing wines with foods and trends and this, but clearly they are trying to make the edible market as bland and boring as possible. Look, the government does have a responsibility not to normalize the use of cannabis. And that's exactly it? what they're what they're doing. The question there's a lot of questions that remain about these uh, uh, about these regs, and you can uh, you know you can comment on those regs. Stakeholders are welcome to comment. What the question the biggest question is is do all these rules you know the bland packaging uh, and the no shapes and the no color and the no sort of dessert flavors is it actually going to kill the black market? 
Or are you still going to go online and get the edibles wherever you're getting them now? I don't know where that is, bum, but wherever <laughs> you're getting them now, um, you know, and uh, are you going to move to a system uh, where the government's going to sell you edibles? I don't know. But how do you grow? Like, this is the portion of this market that is supposed to be the big kind of where the money will flow. If we're going to do this, do it right. I mean, this notion that we're trying to protect the children. Okay, if you're doing that, then don't legalize it. But you have. And now you're like making it as well. The notion of how do how do we protect our children? Well, you know, kids are going to do what kids are going to do, but you need to have big conversations with those kids. What you need to also look at if you're a government is, to Melissa's point, how do you reduce the black market's stranglehold on community after community uh, when you're continuing to uh, find ways to let them continue to flourish? And, and, And we've been seeing this. What's been fascinating is since legalization, if you look at Newfoundland and Labrador, who have about a population of about half a million people, They've sold about six, almost seven million dollars worth of products since legalization. So, and then they ran out of supply. And you know what, what you're seeing on the supply and demand side is that people are okay with us. Mm-hmm. They are far and away ahead of where the politicians are at. But you know, governments do need to take this a bit, you know, slow and low, and yeah, let caution let, here. Let, let people be cautious. It's always easier to introduce more things into the market than have it wide open and try to pull it back. So I think there's there is uh, some to that. But public the public really wants uh, products. They want different product types. They want to understand what those products are, and they want to be able to go and talk to somebody face to face and say, "All right, what do all these products do, and what do they mean? And if I take a gummy, what is this actually?" Just try it out on me? Jello. Make some electric Jello, okay, for your folks. Well, and you know, interestingly, <laughs> like enough, I did there's my actually <laughs> there's actually nothing in these regs about any research and development. So what? that's uh, that's something that's missing. So we'll we'll see what uh, what that means for for companies going forward. All right, guys, we'll leave it there. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Kim Wright and Melissa Landsman joining us tonight, and I wish them both a Merry Christmas. Well, not, not you, Melissa, but you, Kim. Happy travels. We're on point. I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio. You're listening to On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio.